Hi, Andy. Hi, Victoria. Today, we are going to be speaking with an old friend of yours, an old medical colleague of yours, and we are going to be speaking about coincidences. Yes, it's Dr. Bernard Beitman, or Bernie as I know him, a psychiatrist uh, who has really been instrumental in uh, creating this new field of coincidence studies. We actually know him from years back because he spoke at our 2010 mental health conference, and at that time he was speaking about a much broader way of thinking about depression. Mm -hmm. So he continues to be at the leading edge. Great. Let's welcome him. Dr. Bernard Beitman is the first psychiatrist since Carl Jung to systematize the study of coincidences. A graduate of Yale Medical School, he completed his psychiatry residency at Stanford and then served as the chair of psychiatry at the University of Missouri-Columbia for 17 years. He writes a blog for Psychology Today on Coincidence, and his new book, which was published in September, is called Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. Welcome, Bernie. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you very much. I think it would be great to start with some definitions. So tell us what is, how do you define a coincidence? A coincidence uh, is the coming together of two apparently independent events in a surprising way that sometimes looks like it has a, an explanation, but it doesn't. Hmm. What the fun thing about coincidence is for uh, much of human existence is that we look at coincidences and find underlying causality that help us understand how reality works. However, it, I think most people that I know throw coincidences into a mental wastebasket. You know, you'd say that's a coincidence and you dismiss it and don't attach any significance to it. Well, that's the people you know, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're trying to change that. I am trying to change that and you're helping me do that. But it's interesting that you say that most people, and I think it's true because I get a lot of emails. They want to tell me their story. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that because they feel isolated because of what you just described. Well, I would say in the medical profession and probably among scientists particularly, there is that tendency to dismiss coincidences as just, you know, something that's funny or but has no real significance. So, Andy, what what do you think is the significance of a coincidence? To me, they're remarkable that, the, you know, when I look at them carefully and I want to make them happen more frequently. They make me generally make me feel good or act as kind of signposts. I think that's what Bernie is trying to emphasize. Yeah, as you just said, they help you feel like you're on the right path. You're in some kind of flow. And that's what they do for you and do for a lot of other people. And are they all meaningful? No, that's why uh, there's the word coincidence, uh -huh. and then there's meaningful coincidence, and mm -hmm. there's just a coincidence. Uh -huh. The adjective makes a difference. You have to talk about the anatomy of a meaningful coincidence. For example, statisticians like to say random mm -hmm. for every for all of it. And I say, well, there's mystery involved here, too. 
and in between is is your own agency that has mm-hmm. something to do with it meaningful coincidences which are simply not just serendipity synchronicity mm-hmm. it's usually mind and environment connections between mind and environment mm-hmm. let me tell you one i remember waking up one morning in tucson and the phrase shin fein was in my head i didn't even know what it meant and and i looked it up and that was the name of the irish uh, you know, Republican movement. And about six hours later, I was driving in downtown Tucson and on a wall was written Sinn Féin. <laughs> okay. So, and, and that makes me feel, wow, this is something, you know, the universe telling me that I'm in the flow. Yeah. A lot of people use it that way. But let's talk about uh, in medicine, because uh, I'd like to be able to encourage your use of synchronicity in your discussions and your teaching of residents in your integrative medicine program, because I think they can play a role in medicine. What do you think? Can you give an example of that? The discovery of uh, penicillin is one of the most outstanding serendipities in modern medical pharmacology. A lot of pharmacology has taken place and discovered by accidents, happy accidents. But that's serendipity. That's not the same as synchronicity. If you look at the title of my book, Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen, what I'm trying to do is say both of them are forms of meaningful coincidences, uh-huh. and they have and they have overlap. Mm-hmm. So can you define serendipity? Happy accident is a very simple way of talking about it. A little longer way of saying is looking for something and finding in a way we're unexpected, which is what Alexander Fleming did. Mm -hmm. Uh, What Alexander happened with Alexander Fleming in 1921 is he had a running nose and a drop from his nose fell on a Petri dish with some bacteria on it. And then he saw a, a halo of inhibition where that drop fell and that would led to the discovery of lysozyme, uh, something that could lyse cell walls. He was lo- he was very much looking for something to stop the major infections that happened in World War One, because a lot of people died from the infections, not from the actual shells. What about the common occurrence? It seems to me where scientists sometimes across the world from each other are coming up with the same discovery. So you have hundreds of years of effort, nothing, and then suddenly somehow in the same two-week or one-month period, two different scientists discover the same thing. Is that a synchronicity or a serendipity? It's whatever you want to call it. It's a coincidence. (laughs) And what I look at, a meaningful coincidence, and the the term simultaneous independent discovery Mm -hmm. is the term applied to them. Mm-hmm. And they happen a lot. A 1923 book on the subject had hundreds of them, mm-hmm. and they keep happening often, more and more often. There's one about uh, on February 14th, since we just had Valentine's Day, uh, 1876. Two guys walk into the U.S. Patent Office with the same almost diagram of the telephone. Interesting. It also seems to me that uh, one principle is that similar things tend to happen together. And it seems to me that the experience of coincidence or synchronicity hints at some underlying structure of the universe. Yes. You mentioned that we should watch for this in our medical training, and we've given some examples of how scientific research progresses. But what about in the clinical practice of medicine? In the clinical practice, sometimes 
as I had one example, I was doing a CME thing. Uh, I'm a psychiatrist. And for some reason, I, I looked up this thing on sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. So I, I did the CME, and the next day a guy walks in with a thick neck and a big belly who is having some depression problems, and he fit the criteria of sleep apnea, which I just read about the day before. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you feel like you might not have recognized that syndrome? I think I would have had a lot more trouble. Uh-huh. It helped. They, yeah. they, they help. I mean, I had to have some basic idea about it. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's another version of this that I wonder if happens to you that's a little more subtle than that. There's a an experience reported by many people of experiencing the pain or distress of a loved one at a distance. Mm-hmm. This was the original definition of telepathy, tele mm-hmm. at a distance, pathy feeling. But mm-hmm. then it became more cognitive. So I call this simulpathity, just to have a different name for it. And sometimes physicians, therapists, primary care physicians with close connections with patients can find that they're feeling something or dreaming something about a patient who may be in distress. And what I'm suggesting is that this intuitive capacity that we all have, because the data that I have has shown that this capacity exists in a lot of people, that physicians be encouraged to look at themselves to know maybe there's something going on with one of their patients that they need to pay attention to. Yeah, I think that doctors are discouraged from using intuition. I Probably most people are in, in schools, and we're taught to pay attention to objective data. But my experience is that all great diagnosticians rely on intuition. Absolutely. And how are you doing that in your program, increasing people's confidence and intuition? (laughs) Andy, you regularly speak of that. I mean, you regularly suggest that our fellows pay attention to their intuition because it is a source of important information. So you counter the predominant message with that message. Do you give examples? I give some case examples from my clinical experience. The place it shows up most often, I would say for me, is more with loved ones than patients. I'll be thinking about somebody and thinking, oh, I should call them, and the phone rings, and it's that person. And I feel like that happens way more than one could say by chance alone. There's been some actual research on that done by Rupert Sheldrake, uh, controlled experiments showing that it, it's not random, that the, the chance of people getting it right on who's calling is, is higher than chance. That seems to point to that relational aspect, that when it's someone who you are particularly close to, so that could be perhaps in a psychotherapeutic relationship, a patient you're feeling especially connected to, it could be a loved one, it could be a friend, uh, that it perhaps happens more frequently. The data show that, just what you're saying. Bernie, where is the field of coincidence studies which you've been instrumental in developing? Well, tomorrow we are launching the Coincidence Project website, and we have something called the Coincidence Cafe, which occurs from uh, 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. each third Saturday of the month. And we're getting more and more people coming to that. And more and more people seem to be getting into this idea. Maybe it's because I'm in the middle of it, so they contact me. But I'm getting a lot of people very interested and wanting to be able to come together to recognize and utilize meaningful coincidences. 
So is there a field now of coincidence studies? Well, you know, you know about fields. Uh, yeah. You have to have it in your own mind first. And of course, it's been in my mind for quite a while. Right now, we have a board, 10 good people. We have programs coming up uh, once a month. And we are ready to launch into a larger venue. So what we need is cash to be able to do the research after we get the administrative foundation solidified. And I've got some ideas about future research. Can you give us an idea for research? There are hundreds and hundreds of coincidence stories that we've collected, including ones like you with uh, the, the sign. What I want to do is have people look at the stories and look for patterns in them and then have artificial intelligence look through the same stories, which they can do now to see if they can find patterns that human beings can't find. Do you think that if you focus on coincidences, they tend to, you tend to experience them more often? Do you have any idea why that happens? What makes you, you say it because you, it's well, true. That's my, that is my experience. And I think it's that, um, I, they're probably happening all the time, but if you don't pay attention to them, they go away. You're absolutely right. That's the kind of data I want to gather to confirm it. But yes, that when I'm asked, how do you increase coincidences? People want to cultivate them. Just keep paying attention to them and they'll keep happening. You wrote something in a paper. You said, coincidences are clues to the mysterious hiding in plain sight. It's such a beautiful sentence to consider. What do you think we can learn? We can learn how reality works, which is what's been going on with coincidences for much of humanity. Two things come together and say, why is that? You know, it's really funny because astronomers look for anomalies. Mm -hmm. That's what they study. But here on Earth, you get an anomaly like this stuff and you don't look for it. You don't look into it. And that's what I'm trying to encourage people to do. And what will we discover? Well, I think we live in something called the psychosphere, our mental atmosphere. And this mental atmosphere is partly explanation for that simultaneous independent discovery th thing that you mentioned, Victoria. We feed off the same ideas collectively. It's a collective consciousness. It's not just the deep unconscious of Jung. There's a lot of stuff running around in that psychosphere. And that gives me a way of explaining telepathy. Nobody knows how telepathy works. But mm -hmm. if you use this idea, Tyler de Chardin had it. A lot of people have used the term psychosphere. Andy, you have talked about our conception of reality uh, being maybe just one way of seeing the world. And um, there's a tremendous interest right now uh, in psychedelics and in seeing the world in very different ways. So do psychedelics increase our experience of coincidences <laughs> or synchronicity or serendipity? Well, I don't have data for that, but certainly in my experience, that is, they do. Of course they do. I interviewed a woman with doing psilocybin psychologist in London for depression, and I asked the same question Victoria did. And not only the patients after they have psilocybin tell them I have a lot of coincidences, but also the therapists who are involved. But you know what happens when I said, well, do you report this? They said... 
too woo-woo. But yes, Andy and I both know that on Hate Street in the late 60s, there were signs that were feel like signs that said synchronicity spoken here. (laughs) (laughs) What happened? We had Carl Jung, who was so intrigued and wrote about this so frequently and in depth, and then a very long period of time until you lifted it up. Is it just too woo-woo, or was there some other reason why the interest has perhaps turned aside? Too woo-woo. Jung was afraid to write about it because he was afraid that people would make fun of him, and he only did it toward the end of his life that he published it. And I did it because I had my first coincidence when I was eight or nine. I was uh, weird enough to pay attention to what I saw rather than believing what people told me. Uh, And I just needed to write about them. And and I started with doing a little research project to find out how often do these things happen. And I, they happen quite often and they're quite common. And I got the data to be able to show it. Now, is this your weird coincidence survey? Yes, it is. Can you tell us what you learned from that uh, survey? Because I know you have had more than 3,000 people contribute. Yes. I wanted to know the most common ones. And Victoria, you picked out the most common. You think of someone and they call you. Rupert has mm-hmm. shown that you, that, that happens. Uh, it happens quite regularly people have that experience. Sometimes another another frequent one is being in the right place at the right time. So I've come up with an idea called human GPS or internal mm-hmm. GPS, where we can get to where we need to be without knowing how we got there. But this internal guidance system gets us where we need to be. Another one is looking for ideas and then having or answers to questions and having them appear on the internet or uh, somebody saying something or on, in some kind of newspaper that you're looking for it and it shows up in a weird way. One that I ha- used to have very frequently when I was younger that has just started to reappear is I have a word pop into my head, often a word that I don't know the meaning of. And then Within hours, I encounter that word in a book I'm reading or an article that I'm reading. Yes. And now it's reappeared. I, I began to mm-hmm. disappear as I got older, but I love to do acrostic puzzles. And recently, words in the acrostic puzzle, really odd things, turns up in something I'm reading You know, within a sh- very short time. I think, Dr. Weil, those are hints that for your active mind, you <laughs> might get curious about. I am. I love it. <laughs> It's it's so interesting. As I said, it hints at some underlying structure of the universe in which what's inside our heads and outside our heads uh, is connected. And when you say that, that's a fundamental principle. What's inside our heads is connected to what's outside our heads, which makes it obvious, if you pay attention to it, that w- our minds are part of our environment. They're not just in our own skulls. You both have such a positive uh, stance on this, uh, internal GPS, being in the flow. I mean, there's a lot of positivity. Is it ever a bad thing? Does this ever cause people, I mean, you're a psychiatrist, Bernie, does this ever create difficulty for people? It does. A researcher in uh, San Francisco was studying neuroblastoma. Uh, She had been involved with... um, uh, prayer 
mm-hmm. and uh, helping AIDS patients mm-hmm. uh, at a distance. And the data were pretty good, enough for uh, NIH or NIMH to give her money to do the same thing with neuroblastoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as she got started with it, she came to be diagnosed with a neuroblastoma. That's not a coincidence you want to have happen to yourself. A longer answer to your question is that when you start examining them, as they do in my book, sometimes the coincidence is great for one person and terrible for another person right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's good just for one person and then bad uh, later on, too. So sometimes you have to pay attention to the time sequences of coincidences. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast for these wonderful ideas about how we might stimulate the thought process of our fellows and students and um, for bringing this leading edge to medicine and to society. Thank you very much, Victoria and Andy. Listeners, this is Dr. Victoria Mazes. We would love for you to send us your questions. For Andy, myself, or for our guests, you can call us and leave a voicemail by dialing 520-621-3950. Again, 520-621-3950. Or you can submit a question by going to our website, azcim.org slash podcast. Again, azcim.org slash podcast. When you go to our website, you can see our upcoming guests, and we will try to answer some of your questions on our program. 